From lifestyle, fitness, beauty, travel, relationships, and self-care, Steph's got you covered. Welcome to your safe space, where you can stop what you're doing, relax, and let someone else do the heavy lifting for once. This is the Luxury Dropout Podcast with your host, Stephanie Joplin. What's up, guys? It's Stephanie Joplin here with another episode of the Luxury Dropout Podcast. Today, I have got my buddy, Eric Sandler. He is a food writer with Culture Map Houston, and he has been in the food industry for over a decade. He has literally come up from not even being a writer, a journalist, any sort of specific training, and worked his way up to now having a very popular podcast called What's Eric Eating, as well as having a column for Culture Map Houston. So today we talked about all kinds of stuff. We talked about old friends in the restaurant industry. We talked about our pet peeves at restaurants. We talk about how he handles a situation where if he goes to a restaurant and the meal and the service is absolutely horrible. We have some really great laughs. I literally can't breathe during one segment of the show. Eric is so low-key funny. Um, you're going to really, really have a ton of fun with this one. Um, so sit back, relax, enjoy. Oh, definitely grab a snack because you're going to get hungry. And I will see you at the end of the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Luxury Dropout Podcast with me, Stephanie Joplin. I've got a old friend with me of many years, Eric Sandler. Hi, Eric. Hi, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm so glad you're on the show. Um, you're truly like one of the OGs from my old life. What, I, what I'd like to say is my old life of you know, restaurants and food and that industry. Um, and you and I have not worked together necessarily, but like worked alongside each other for so many years. Um, and you are, you would call yourself, or I would call you a food critic. Is that what you call yourself too? Or food blogger? What would you say? Well, my title is food editor. Editor. And I, and I think of myself as a food writer more than a critic because- <laughs> so much of what I do is really fact-based, right? Like right. We, we talk about, you know, restaurants when they open and when they close and, and rarely do you get like an opinion from me about, oh, the steak was overcooked or the, the Brussels sprouts were under seasoned. I mean, I, I do that. <laughs> I do a little bit of that because it, it, it wouldn't make sense to write about restaurants and not do that, but yeah, yeah. it's not my, it's, it's not my focus. My, my focus yeah. is more reporter than critic. Yeah. So try, maybe if we tell our guests, like, try not to envision the dude from Ratatouille so much as. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I don't think may, maybe Pete Wells for the New York Times. I don't think anybody has that kind of influence anymore. Like the ability to make or break restaurants. The old school. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That just that's, doesn't, that's not a thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's actually true. I remember a long time ago, that definitely was a thing. Like you would have um, a, a very particular food critic come in and the chef and the GM and everyone was scurrying around and trying to make things perfect. And, and I think there's like still a little bit of that, obviously. Like I remember working in a restaurant where we knew someone was coming in, like say it was you or Allison Cook. And I remember like alerting the chefs and things like that but well yeah they have the wall of the pictures right with all the yeah. with all the people on it that yes that they're supposed to keep an eye out for mm -hmm, exactly and so I guess like we've gotten away from that especially now 
post pandemic, I mean, we've got to talk about that. Like, I, I feel like your job probably changed a lot after the pandemic. Well, I, I mean, I, so just to circle back, I think one of the reasons that there's, there's less of that is because there's so many more voices now. Yeah. Right. If you think about just the number of influencers on Instagram and TikTok that are going to their favorite places and, and highlighting the dishes they love or the people they want to, to share news about, there's, there's, it's been democratized in such a way that you don't have to read Culture Map or the Chronicle to, to find out what's going on. You can follow it on social media. Now, right. now hopefully, like what, what I bring or what, what other professional writers bring is some some expertise and some objectivity, mm-hmm. right? Like you can you can trust our, we're not being compensated by the restaurants, right? Yes. Like that, that I don't have to worry about, you know, keeping the keeping the free food coming or whatever, you know, like, or, or that I'm not, I'm not making my living directly by, <laughs> you know, being paid to, to go somewhere and take pictures of their food and then post it, you know, that's the real difference, I hope. I hope that's what sets us apart, but. Yeah. You know, in terms of the pandemic, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say, well, you know, in the very beginning, right, in during the the shutdown and the lockdown and whatever, there wasn't restaurant news. You know, there there weren't there weren't openings, there weren't closings, there weren't trends. Everybody was just home. So, you know, for that that first couple of months when things were really scary and uncertain, the coverage shifted. Where to get to go, you know, cocktails to go, different relief efforts you know Mm -hmm. there was a group called houston shift meal that started popping up and doing free food for unemployed hospitality workers and and you know i know you're friends with ryan lachane at riel they were involved in a national effort led by edward lee get you know household supplies and prepared meals and all that stuff to people Mm -hmm. so you know that was that was the bulk of the coverage and then you know we reopened and it was you know patio dining right where uh, you know a, a, a real surge in interest in outdoor dining yes who's following protocols who's staying at certain capacity levels who's keeping their masks on mm-hmm. you know all of that and then you know it started to ease up and part of that is that you know just politically right in texas we were not going to stay closed as long as other states yeah. So by the fall, right, when, when Blue Dorn opened in, I don't know, September, October of 2020, it didn't feel, it certainly wasn't back to normal by any stretch of the imagination, but that was the first one where it's like, okay, yeah, they've got the screens up and they're wearing the masks, but, but this feels like an occasion. Yes. This restaurant feels warm and welcoming in a way that I haven't felt comfortable in six months. You know, mm-hmm. especially indoors. Mm-hmm. And so that was, and then by about a year ago, right, as, as the vaccine started to roll out and it felt safer. And then, you know, then we took a hit with Delta and then we took another hit with, <laughs> with Omicron and, and, you know, so many restaurants, especially in December, you know, that was, that was prime earning time. And they lost, you know, a critical week or however many days of service because they didn't, their whole staff got sick and they didn't have enough Mm-hmm. They couldn't run the restaurant. So from a reporting perspective, keeping track of places as they sort of closed for a week or reopened or whatever became important. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the kinds of articles we were writing, it got more into a normal flow. But of course, the restaurants have been forever changed, you know, yes. because they have all these increased requirements, you know, labor got 
labor got so much more expensive, supplies got so much more expensive, meeting the requirements of, of the shifting protocols and, and finding the right balance between the people who want masks, hand sanitizer, only outdoor dining with the people who are just like, I want it to feel as much like the old times as possible. And I want to see your smile, take your mask down. You, yeah. you, you know, there's that like competing competing interests and balancing those concerns because at the at the end of the day right like you're there to serve the customers Mm -hmm. and make money and make people happy and and you can't you can't make there's no making everybody happy these days it's it's, no it's a huge challenge no you could literally be like have a great day and somebody would be like f you (laughs) right you know you can't do you can't say anything but i was going to ask you like you know i always remember those days in the restaurants like you know oh the health inspector's here and everyone's like fuck and they're like running around and like trying to make sure everything's labeled and I can't do you know anything about like how that's changed now with all the COVID like protocols and stuff like how, do you know it have you heard about that like has that changed a lot no I, I I haven't and the city you know the mayor was like trying to get people to adhere to sort of voluntary capacity limits and he, he tried a little bit of like name and shame with some nightclubs that Mm -hmm. weren't necessarily following the protocols. But, you know, since so much of that was sort of state level enforcement, and again, you know, just in the specific political environment in Texas, Mm -hmm. it was hard for them to, to shut businesses down for noncompliance. I mean, you know, we were, you know, I mean, very famously, you know, Federal Grill in Hedwig Village, (laughs) like, reopened, what, three, four, five days or something. Yes. Before they were technically allowed to in Harris County. And he just yeah. kind of dared the, the county judge to show up with, with constables yeah. and shut him down. And of course they didn't because at the end of like, that's not, not I, I don't think it. that that would have been productive, right? It would have been a huge challenge. So, but I think that's Texas, right? In, in yeah. New York and in, in California, certainly the government's perspective on that was totally different. And so those restaurateurs had even more challenges than, than we did. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why we didn't see as much in terms of like losing restaurants or that it, it could have been, it could have been much tougher. I think like even as bad as it was, it could have been so much worse. I agree. I, so a year ago um, in March, cause you know, I think that federal girl thing was like 2020, right? That was like, fall. right. Yeah. It was right. like very early, like May ish, like very early when we still didn't really know what was going on and we were we were still trying to figure things out. Yeah, so this was like March of 2021. I went to California and I was in Westlake with one of my girlfriends and we and her and her boyfriend and we went to a nice restaurant and they sat us in this like super ratchet like tent outside <laughs> and we were freezing our ass off. It was so cold and you couldn't like we literally were like, just put it in to go. Like we'll take it to the hotel. And it, and this was, you know, six months after the federal girl thing. So you're completely on point with that. It's just it's crazy how different it is when you travel and you go see places like that are more stern with the reinforcement of the masks and all of the policies and all the health requirements or whatever. And you come back to Texas and like, no one's wearing their mask and I'm not going to get into all that and what I think and whatever, but I do appreciate the fact that our hospitality workers and the restaurant owners and the chefs like got to keep their jobs. That's where I'm, my heart is. Right. Right. And that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think we all kind of throughout this tried to do the best we could with the data we had at the time, right? Especially, yeah. 
especially business owners mm-hmm. and looking back, like, did we need the hand sanitizer in, in May and June of 2020? No, no. Cause that's not, that's not how the disease is spread, but, right. but did, but did we understand that at the time? Did it, did it make us feel better in an uncertain moment? Of course it did. Totally. And so keeping up with all these shifting protocols has been uh, a huge burden, but, but, you know, at this point, obviously there are no government restrictions, right. Especially in Texas, like, and, and even really nationwide. Mm-hmm. preventing people from operating pretty normally at full capacity and all that stuff. So now whether whether people feel comfortable going out still is is an individual choice, but that that makes sense to me. I think that putting it up to the to people to make decisions for themselves based on their specific health needs and and financial requirements all that stuff. I I think that's the best we can hope for, especially at this Yeah. Point. That seems logical to me. Um, how did you, I want to ask you, I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Like, how did you get to where you are now? Like, how did you discover your passion? Because there's all these people out here, obviously, that love food. We, you know, we always say phone eats, phone eats first, right? Like right. camera eats ev- first. Yeah, right. exactly. And there's a lot of like aspiring food photographers out there, like even though they're not technically going to become a food writer or you know, what you're doing exactly or writing for a specific publication. But, you know, say for those out there who actually do want to become more involved in the food writing, you know, aspect of things and actually become a journalist, like how, tell, tell us a little bit about how you came to your position. There's a, there's a long answer. Yeah. And then there's, there's kind of a short answer. And, and the short answer basically is that I've, I've had a lifelong interest in restaurants and dining, you know, even though I never, I never worked at one, but I, I had a, a curiosity about food and trying new food and going to new places, you know, even going back to childhood and, and certainly in, in college and, and after college, you know, I was the friend when like my friends were sick of, you know, whatever restaurants we always went to is like, mm-hmm. you pick something, you know where to go. <laughs> and so you know, essentially, like, is basically 10 years ago, like, like, right about now, um, a lot of a, a lot of things about my life changed. And I got the opportunity to start writing for the first time, mm-hmm. essentially, because I, I wasn't working, you know, I didn't, I didn't have another job at the time, you know, I, I wasn't making a lot of money, but but I had some, some support and, and the freedom to sort of to do that. And, and also that, like, I, had been immersed in like from a from a on the spectator side right from the from an appreciation side into this food world and so like I knew the players and I knew the restaurant and I I've just always like had a like an interest in in writing like informally like on on message boards and on social media and so you know I started I started working for a website and they they kind of took the took the clay and like you know shaped me into a a writer and we're like, okay, go do like here, you know, yeah. here's the guidelines. And, and I did that for about a year. I, I really didn't know if I was, I didn't know if I was going to like it. And I didn't know if anyone was going to want to read what I had to say. Mm-hmm. And, and it turns out that I, I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. And that the, the metrics on readership numbers turned out to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, you know, there had been some changes at culture map where some people had gone on to other opportunities Mm-hmm. And so we were sort of encouraged to talk to each other and because they needed a food person and, and I needed, you know, a real salary and health insurance. Right. And, and so they at the time gave me an opportunity. And then 
I just worked really hard to, to deserve it. You know, not, not having had a restaurant background and not having had professional journalism training, I, I just, I kind of took what I, what I knew and then I started asking people who knew more than me questions yes. and learned by talking to people and, and, you know, and just, you know, doing right. It, it's a, it's a little bit of fake it till you make it, but totally. I, but I was doing it in public, you know, for readers, you, you know, there was no, there was no, like, I didn't really have like a private blogging phase where I like honed my chops. I just kind of got thrown into the deep end and, and was figured it out. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't know that what I did is really repeatable. It just, it had to do with like kind of being in the right place at the right time. And then, and, and being at a stage of my life where it just made sense to throw myself into the new job. Right. right? Where I wasn't in a relationship and I, I didn't have some other things that would have been valuable for me as a person, but like a distraction for what I was trying to accomplish. Of course. And so I, I just kind of, you know, I jumped in with both feet and, and figured it out. That's awesome. I, I was going to say like, so my very first podcast was with my friend, Megan Olivi, who's um, the correspondent, one of the correspondents for UFC. And one of the things that we talked about was we truly believe in fake it till you make it. Because as you said, you didn't have any real training as a journalist. Um, I didn't either, uh, but we both, I think both of us have in common is like, we're good writers you know, like just naturally. And so that flows that that's something I think like is so important is like being grammatically correct and not having to have whoever's editing your stuff, like have to go through and like change your whole piece. And like, that's a good little tidbit, I think, to give people is like, well, clean, clean, clean copy and the ability to hit a deadline. Thank you. We'll take you like, but, but it's both. Yes. And, and and those two things combined will take you a long way because took the words you, out of my mouth. Totally. You you I'm mean, you wouldn't be surprised because you have experience with it, but I think people might be surprised. There's a lot of people that want to write and there's a lot of you know, you can see freelancers kind of come and go at, at various publications around town or, or right. even, you know, they'll start a podcast, they'll do 20 episodes and then it it disappears or, or, you know, that ability, you know, and, and, and I always love that people look at me sometimes and they're like, you get to eat for a living. It's like, no, no, <laughs> I write for a living. Yes. And, and every morning I'm accountable to my editor. It's like, what do you have for me? Right. And, and I better have two pretty good answers to that question Monday through Friday. And if I don't, there better be like a really good reason why not. Yeah. And so that's, that's the reality is that is that you have to be able to write concise, readable, grammatically correct, mm-hmm. and quickly. Yes. And to have a job like this. And and then and you're never gonna get rich doing this, but but it's it's a really fun world to be a part of. It's fulfilling. And I feel like you have so many strong connections. And I wouldn't like you're like me. Like it's not like we have a lot of actual friends, but we have so many good acquaintances. Like we have so many people that we, if we called them, they'd be like, yeah, come on in. I got you. No problem. Skip the list. Like, you know, you probably have more than I do, but, um, you know, like we've developed and cultivated these really cool relationships. And I feel like that makes me rich. Like, I feel like even if I don't have the money, like that, that makes me rich, you know, just to have the, all of those connections too. Well, and that was a piece of advice that I got very early on was that, 
you know, this, the, the world of restaurants especially is built on relationships and maintaining relationships and respecting relationships. And there are times when, you know, I, I, I do try to do my part to forge those connections by, you know, especially in the beginning, you know, I went to every pop-up, every fundraiser, yeah. every, every, everything that I was invited to. I, I judged every chili contest. I did, you I really did. did. I did all of these things uh, to, to get my name out there and to meet people and, and try to establish some credibility. I don't have to do as much of that now, right? Yeah. People, it's good to be, I mean, you know, I've been a culture map for, it'll be nine years this summer. I can't even believe it's been nine years. I, I mean, I think I met you 10 years ago. Well, yeah, we, I mean, I remember the night we met because it was that um, Lucky Dog dinner that Becky Masson did yes. at Ralph Smith Studios and you were with Taylor Yes, and it was the three of us and we all, like, and I knew Taylor, I had already met Taylor, but I, I didn't, I hadn't met you. I think we may have already. We were already Twitter, way. like Twitter yeah. friends. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course we hit it off because we were, we were kind of similar phases in our life at the totally. time and, and just had such a natural rapport. Yeah. But that, I mean, but yeah, that's getting to be, you know, a long time ago. And, and I don't know, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know when I went from like the upstart, like nobody knows who that guy is to uh, everybody knows who that guy is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it happened somewhere, somewhere between now, somewhere between then and now. And it's, it's astonishing to me. I mean, I was at a dinner last night and, and this woman looks over at me and goes, you are Eric Sandler? Like, you are Eric Sandler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I read all your articles. Like, Thank you. You know, I mean. And you're still the guy that people text or call or tweet. And they're like, Eric, where should I eat? Yes. I, I'm like, like I, I won't I won't make the reservation for you, but I will give you some ideas. Uh, <laughs> you know, my only my only request is that I don't it's got to be kind of snappy, right? Like if yeah. I. If if I give you two or three and you go oh I've I've been there, <laughs> and then and then I go well what about X you know what about and I'll give you two more and you go no I didn't like those uh, right, then you're on your own you know yeah. at that point like I'm not gonna play twenty questions with you this is there's no. only so much patience but but I I I don't even know how you do it anymore because like when people ask me you know how it is for Vegas right so people ask me for Vegas food all the time or anything in Vegas and I'm like I'm I am. Okay, I'll be honest. I'm sick of it. I'm real sick of it. I'm like, do you want to? Do you want to pay me twenty bucks? I'll send you my list. Like, <laughs> right. like I'm joking, but I'm just like, how does Eric do it? Because I feel bad when I text you and I ask you questions like how to find hidden omakase, for example. I'm like, where the fuck is it? I cannot find it, <laughs> and I had to call your ass to like help me find it. Yeah, you know, I, like, I, you know, I. I don't mind do I just feel like it's part of the job. Like You're on so a certain sweet. level, I just think like I, because and and I think part of that is that I came to this in my 30s. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had a whole life before mm-hmm. that nobody cared about um I mean, you know, beyond like my very close friends yeah. and family, but like it wasn't a public it wasn't a public role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so like on some level, I still feel really lucky that I get to do this for a living. Oh. And so, and and look, and it obviously it's it's different for someone like you, right? Like you can yeah. you can basically text me anytime and be like, oh, it's my mom's <laughs> birthday, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Where should we go? You know, that's all fine. But yeah. but even for strangers, right? Like I don't, I I get a steady stream of Instagram DMs, and, oh. and that's I'd say that's primarily how people contact me now. 
That's cute. It's fine. Like I, you know, they you need slide a into your DMs. Yeah, yeah, but never for the never for that reason, right? <laughs> it's it's always the it's always the woman like looking to take her husband out or or her boyfriend or whatever, right? They're never they don't they don't want me. They they want the they want the idea. I'm rolling my eyes, FYI, everybody <laughs> who's listening. Whatever. Um, well, I you know. People, people who slide into my DMs, I, I don't know what they're, uh, what they're looking for because they're not specific. And as you know, um, they say some strange things. Uh, I, I don't think they're looking for a date either. I, I honestly don't know what they're looking for. Um, a life, perhaps. Just not sure. Attention. About that. Sometimes it's attention, right? And, <laughs> and I'll get. Let me, let me say, most people are incredibly nice and mm-hmm. very appreciative. Yes. It's like 95%. And right. every now and then, you know, I'll get someone who's like, oh, that place you that place you recommended sucks. You know, yeah, I can't true. I can't believe you like that place. It's like <sighs> it's like that's fine. You know, thanks well, for reading. you you have gotten some like I, I just remember and I can't remember the specific incident, but there's been some where I'll read like a Facebook thread of comments and there's some like real assholes like that come for your neck about stuff. Like how, and you always respond like firmly and like very intelligibly, like you, you never let it get to you. Like, do you ever take any of it personally? Cause I know it's hard to separate sometimes. Well, you know, let me, let me say I'm a retired troll. Ah, so before I had this job, you always want to like show off a little bit, right? Like you yeah. want to kind of be smarter than or or better informed than, you know, and and it's funny because, you know, the the culture map is owned by Gal Media, which is owned, which also owns ESPN 97.5. Yes. And so the sports talk guys, you know, whenever they open the phones to calls, you know, they could get anything from what do you think the Astros, how do you think the Astros are going to do this year to your take about whatever topic is stupid and and this is why i think so and you know those guys are like looking for you know attention validation whatever and so i will say if you disagree with me politely like i will explain my thinking and we can have a conversation Mm -hmm. if you're rude like i mean yeah that's when i get to that's when i get to like be a little bit snarky be a little bit sarcastic and and the and the crowd is with me because they they know me and they don't know you so you know, you have to be, you have to be gentle. Like you can't be mean and you can't yeah. call people names. Like there's, yeah. there's all this kind of crap that I used to do to people, you know, recite the, recite the moment from Billy Madison, right? <laughs> everyone in this, everyone in this, I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul, you, you know, but oh, that's funny, <laughs> but you know, can't do that. Can't do that kind of stuff anymore because then I just look like a, you know, when when you're a civilian and you do it, it's fine. When when you're a professional and you do it to strangers, you're a bully. And and I accept that. Like that's that the the small price. One of the one of the small prices to pay is that, you know, I don't insult I don't insult strangers anymore. And a couple of years ago, I went I just deleted my whole Twitter archive because God only knows, like God only knows what I said to someone in like 2011. Oh my God. How do you do that? Do you have to do it individually? No, there was like a, there was a website. I think I paid him 10 bucks and it's just like, poof, everything, everything before a certain time was just gone. And I feel like I need to do that. Like anything. I was completely fine with that. Anything before like 2018, I feel like I should probably delete. 
Yeah, and then I and then I basically stopped tweeting because I I just you know the conversation about food really shifted to Instagram. It and did. Facebook, you know, Facebook, those Facebook booty groups, and I get so much more engagement there. Yeah, that it, I literally only talk about baseball, football, MMA, maybe like on Twitter now. I don't talk about food there at all anymore. Yeah, Twitter's Twitter's great for sports, and and it was great at the Academy Awards when it's like. Okay, Wait, yeah. What just happened, right? Yeah. For those like viral live moments. Oh lord. But for but to talk about like you know, favorite restaurants like eh, there's a million there's a million other places I'd rather do that. Isn't that crazy though like how things shift for us cuz Instagram it was it was a thing when Twitter was a thing in 2012-13 and it was so heavy Twitter like I would rarely be on Instagram and if it was it was like the shittiest picture I would just like upload I wouldn't even care what it looked like. I'd use like crappy filter and, you know, now, and now it's like so curated and like timed and like Twitter is just like, eh, I have something funny to say. I'll just shoot it out there. See if anyone thinks it's funny. Like I, that's how it is now. No, no, totally. And I, yeah. And, and I would, but I would much rather just share like, you know, what I'm eating. And of course, I mean, nothing from nothing, but the technology is better, right? Like yeah, the, the yeah. quality of the camera on my, iPhone 13 is, is <laughs> I know way better than my iPhone 5 or whatever the heck I was using. I, yeah, BlackBerry. I don't. Yeah, I think right. it was definitely was an iPhone. But I remember I still have pictures from my BlackBerry, and I'm like, this looks like a dinosaur. I just can't. But how was I even taking? Why was I taking pictures of my food? Period. With this, I, I don't know. It, well, we didn't know any better. I mean, no. that's basically what it comes down to. We thought we were doing a great job. I know we really did. We really did. Um, so how do you handle it? I always wondered this and I, I don't think I've ever asked you, like, have you ever had an occasion and you don't have to name who or where have you ever had an occasion where you've gone somewhere and it's just been like the most miserable dining experience, like from head to toe. Have you ever had that happen to you? Yeah. Oh no. It happens. It doesn't happen often, thankfully, right? Yeah. Most restaurants, the upside and downside of being, you know, widely known is that you know, I get spotted pretty quickly. They and, prepare, and, yeah. And they're, yeah, or right. And and a lot of the times, especially with new restaurants, it's, you know, they're working with PR firm. It's, it's, it's an invitation, you yes. know, we're being hosted. And so the experience, you know, the quality of the food can vary a little bit, but like the experience is always going to be pretty good. Okay. Um. So the, the bad meals really stand out. Mm. And, you know. What do you do? Well, it, it sort of depends. Um, you know, if it's like a little mom and pop place, mm -hmm. you just flush it, right? You're just like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if this was a bad night or not, or I, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if it's really this bad or they just had an off night, but we're, we're just going to pretend this didn't happen. Like oh I'll, God. I'll come back another time, you know, and then, and then we'll see. That's uh, nice. My God. Well, I, you know, we're not, not trying to put anybody out of business, you know, no, I know, I know, but, I know. but then there are the, the, like the high priced failures, right? Like if it's like a, you know, a, a veteran operator in a good location with a fancy PR firm, and then it sucks, like, well, then I feel like we have an obligation to sort of tell people because, yeah. because again, like they're going to be working with influencers who are going to tell you like how awesome it is. Of course. And so I feel obligated to tell people like, it it might be mm -hmm. like it it might be the case that I just caught it on a bad night, but heads up, it may not be quite ready for prime time. Yeah, 
Well, so I got, so recently I got offered, um, a brand deal for like my own, you know, my own account and they, it's like this, uh, you know, meal delivery service, like meal prep. Right. And I have a manager that they reach out through and she does all my brand deal stuff and like she can take a cut, you know, and all of that. So basically they were like, we want to send you $200 worth of free meals, but we want you to post. And I went back to my manager and I was like, look, I was like, I don't have a problem with that trade. However, if I don't like the food, I am not going to post it. I like, I'm not going to post them and say it's gross. I'm, and I'm not going to post it and say it's good. I'm just not going to post. And she was like, I think that's fair. So she went back to them and she said, this is, you know, Stephanie's authenticity is very important to her. Um, she doesn't want to sell a product, you know, to her fault, her, you know, it's not like I have a hundred thousand, but you know what I mean? Like, right, but people, you know, you've got a good audience. You've, you've got yeah, good engagement. Yeah. People, people listen to what I say, I think a lot of the time. And so I don't want to put out a product that people are going to order and then they won't trust me again. So I was surprised the company came back and they were like, we're so certain that she's going to like it. We'll just send it to her anyways. And if she doesn't like it, she doesn't post it. And I was like, that is the way to do business because if they would if they would have been like oh then we're not going to send it i would have been like okay well screw you but they're confident at least in their product for them to actually send 200 dollars worth of product which i thought was which was cool yeah no i and and i think that's how they should do it now if they're really confident in their product what they should do is send you the the food and be like good or bad yeah right (laughs) yeah we want to know. Yeah, that's, well, that's something they don't want for me. Because I'm so picky about home meal service. Because I am not a meal prep person. Like, all these bodybuilders and, and like, these awesome gym people that are, like, put together all the time. Like I may, like I may put on a cute outfit and go to the gym, but like, I don't like to meal prep. I don't like to eat a bunch of leftovers all week. I don't want to eat ground Turkey and rice. Like I, that is not for me. That is not the life for me. Um, you know, so that's why I'm so picky about it. And that's probably why I'm not like, you know, lean and cut and in shape because like, I like to eat pizza and I like to order from churro mania on a Saturday night. Like, (laughs) I don't know. So they're going to have a hard time with me selling me on it, but if it's good, like I'll definitely post it for sure. Why not? No, totally. That makes sense. So do you, so like when you had the bad experience, like, do you let the PR firm know? Do you let the the chef know? Like, if you have a rapport with them, what do you do? Well, yeah, I mean, so, so thinking back to, to this one, you know, I, I told the PR firm, they contacted me on Instagram that night. And we're like, what did you think? And I was like, (laughs) well, you know, these things went, went poorly. Right. The, the, the you send them salty. you send them the emoji that's like the teeth you know like the the teeth that are like really wide uh, you know <laughs> not sure oh, no, I, you know what what i what i have always found is if you're you're honest about your experience and specific in your criticisms yes people will respect it so of course you know the steak was too salty the server didn't know the menu there was a another dish that like that didn't work but like, but, oh, you know, your ceviche was good. And, and I kind of see what you're doing, but like, clearly this needs some work. You know, I think they were, you know, they sort of appreciate the honesty, you know, hopefully, hopefully it inspires them to, to fix the mistakes because I mean, Lord knows anybody who else, you know, anybody else who had the same meal that we did would have been, I mean, would very disappointed by it. 
I mean, yeah, and they're no also probably a paying customer, right? You know, too, yeah. Right. So what is so? Say you're not in Houston, because obviously we know, like, if you go out in Houston, you're going to be recognized and they take care of you for the most part, obviously. But say you're in another city, what is like your number one pet peeve about service in the restaurants? You know, there's like certain phrases that are triggering. <laughs> Uh, you know, like, are you still working on that? It's like, ugh. you know, I'm here to like, this is, this meal is like a recreational activity, you know, or it's not supposed to be work and, and you shouldn't be. (laughs) All right, go ahead. I can't. No, I'll tell you. It's like, I'll tell you when I'm finished. You just, just, and I know, I know it's like one of those just kind of thoughtless phrases that people hear and then they don't think about, but yeah, it just kind of drives that, that drives me nuts more than anything or <laughs> you know and, oh, and everybody right. just you know everybody just wants like the little stuff right like all we want is you know if I if I ask you about you know a specific dish like you know kind of tell me what's in it or tell me what to expect you know have enough have enough knowledge of the wine list to be able to pick one or two one or two favorite glasses and and don't oh one other thing <laughs> don't touch me there is nothing worse than this. This doesn't happen very often, and it probably doesn't happen. I don't know, but like, put your people that like put their hand on your shoulder or your back or whatever when they're talking to you. Oh, that just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I do not like that at all. Oh my god, <laughs> Eric, you're so funny. <laughs> I can't breathe. I just like, I, I think it's so comical to me because, you know, cause I worked in restaurants forever and I just, I saw that all the time. Um, for me, my pet peeve, there's two things that are my pet peeve. One is literally from college. It, it, it remained in my brain because they're like, you should approach the table within 15 seconds. Now, of course, if it's not 15 seconds, it's fine. But if I'm sitting there for 10 minutes and nobody has approached my table, I will literally like, you know, the steam coming out of my ears like that makes me so mad. Like in a nice restaurant, I'm not talking about like Texas Roadhouse. I'm talking about, you know, a nicer restaurant. I'm like, why am I being forgotten about? It's been 10 minutes. So that's one. And then my other one is like, refill my water glass. (laughs) (laughs) Refill the dang water glass. Cause like, you know, whenever I was refilling water glasses, like whenever I would go help So I don't know if everyone knows, but I used to do private dining for restaurants. And when I was helping on the floor, I would be like literally scouring the tables, making sure that everybody had water. And so that is like another one of mine. Definitely not as funny as yours. Yours are hilarious. (laughs) Well, thank you. I Right. But of course, you would never have to wait 10 minutes for someone to to come by your table at a place like Texas Roadhouse because they're trying to turn that table. You're right. right? They, you know what they I was, want you. Yeah. They want you out in an hour. Yeah. So they yeah. gotta. They gotta get your order. They gotta get you moving. Yeah. You know what I mean, though. Like it's. Oh no! Totally. You don't expect like stellar five star service at Texas Roadhouse, like as if you know, as if you were eat, dining at a Four Seasons restaurant or something. Just right. Well, price. I mean, price dictates expectations, right? Yeah. Like I'll, I'll put up with a lot mm-hmm. if I'm getting a two dollar bon me and it's delicious. <laughs> Oh, totally. Right. Totally. But if we're paying $200 a person or more in some cases, mm-hmm. it better be really polished. <laughs> it, it better yeah. be, you know, this has got to be one of the great meals of my life for that price. 
for sure. For sure. Um, my sister was telling me, I was telling her that I was going to be talking to you and she was like, ask him about this. I was like, okay. So she apparently heard on NPR. I think it was today. She said that during the pandemic, um, there was a, I don't know what publication she told me, but a publication that was instead of writing about the best new restaurants or the best restaurant to go to here or there, they started writing about the best dish or like the best dessert, the best chicken fried Mm -hmm. steak, the best, whatever it was. Um, did you, did you do any of that or like, like in the dead of the pandemic, besides just reporting on what was going on? I I did, you know, in the, in the pre-pandemic, my December, you know, I do a monthly column called Where to Eat Now that's yeah. devoted to new restaurants. Yeah. And December is always best new restaurants. And so, you know, 2019 and earlier, it was a ranked list. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. the best new restaurant to open this year, in my opinion, up to, you know, one to 12 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That didn't feel appropriate mm-hmm. in either 2020 or 2021. Mm-hmm. And so I did favorites, you know, okay. my favorite new restaurants and, and Texas monthly did something kind of similar. They did their favorite dishes, right. Favorite yeah. dishes from new restaurants, the best appetizers, the best entrees, the best sandwiches, the best desserts, the best cocktails. Yes. And so instead of a rank list, you got, you know, 25 dishes statewide right? Um, with some kind of more in-depth features for, you know, the three or four, like most ambitious restaurants to have opened, you know, one in Houston, one in Dallas, one in Austin, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think in 2022, like we will probably be back to ranked best in 2019. I did the, the hundred best restaurants in Houston, one to a hundred, like ranked as such. That certainly would not have felt appropriate in 2020 or even 2021. Right. Um, but, but we might bring that back, you know, and, and it depends as much on, uh, you know, if we have a sponsor that wants to to pay us to do it, as mm-hmm. as whether like I feel like I could do it, but we we did kind of take a break from from some of that like more explicit, um, ranked kind of comparisons, yeah. because it didn't feel as appropriate. But I do think like we're getting to the point where it's it's probably about time to get back to some of that and and saying who's better. Yeah, you know, totally. Who's really leading the way. Totally, I agree. I think it's about about that time too um we've given them long enough right well they, they'll they tell you like they're still dealing with no i know shortages and all this other like they're still really fighting the good fight out there but i know i'm joking around i know trust me i and i try to you know me i try to support my friends in the restaurant industry as much as possible and always post about them and you know, try to really show my, I know how hard it is. It's long hours. It's like, you know, anyone who says I want to open up a restaurant. I'm like, have you ever worked in a restaurant? Cause if you haven't, I highly suggest you go be a dishwasher, you know? Right. Right. There's like, the old, the old joke, you know, how do you make a little money in the restaurant business? Start with a lot of money. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you something. I've been wanting to ask you this like for a couple of years and you know that I've worked with two restaurant groups who very quickly, like they had something great. And then all of a sudden, very quickly just took a nosedive, right? Yes, and like, I, like Icarus, they flew too close to the sun. Yes, yes. So I want to ask you what you think is, and I have my own opinions, but what do you, what would you say would be like the catalyst to like why those 
those restaurant groups failed? I think on some level, they were smart operators who achieved some initial success. Mm -hmm. And there are two ways to sort of think about what they achieved in the beginning, mm -hmm. right? And, and the first one is we have caught lightning in a bottle. We are very fortunate. And we're just going to kind of consolidate around this good thing that we that that's it's sort of bigger than us. Like like we help foster it, but we're not totally responsible for its success, right? Like especially right. if you open a, a small neighborhood restaurant in in a neighborhood that's like really up and coming, and you're you're just there at the right time when more people are moving in, and they're really hungry for exactly what you're doing. You're like you're exactly like right trend, right execution, right moment, lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you you should feel lucky like on some level mm -hmm. or you can think like oh the restaurant business isn't that hard we you know we're just smarter than everybody else mm -hmm. and then you do things like try to open three restaurants within you know six months of each other and have trouble like managing the finances and, and just get way in over your head yeah and and that's what happened you know, certainly for the, one of the groups you worked for, and then the other group is maybe even a little bit more complicated about kind of what happened to them, but, but like very ambitious plans on a right. very short timeline. Yeah. It's very difficult to execute and yes. it, and it takes, it takes a really talented team and a lot of money and good luck. Mm -hmm. And if any one of those things, like if all of the restaurants are immediately very successful, right? Like if, if you, if you if everything you open is a steak forty eight, right, and and you're doing, you know, one hundred and fifty dollars a person for three hundred, you know, three hundred seats at a time for five hundred people a night, no problems. No, Every, yeah. everything is life is beautiful. We're good. But but if you if what you're doing is cool, but and and it's like really like is good, mm -hmm. but doesn't immediately find an audience, and your budgets and your your finances are thin you get in a pinch real fast. And do you think, do you think like the first one was like, it's too niche? Like, do you think that happened? I, I mean, I do. I think there were things about the British pub, shall we say? Yeah. And the, the Asian concept that like should have probably been like looking back at it. Like, and, yes. and, and not that I, not that I even sort of understood this at the time, but like that should have been broader or, mm -hmm. or like more in line with people's expectations for yeah. those styles of food. Yeah. Um, because the Southern restaurant was pretty successful, right? Yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty much from jump. Yes. And so it, it wasn't, you know, you know, the problems weren't necessarily location-based or no. structural. It was mm -hmm. like that they just they needed a little more discipline and a little bit like a little bit to be a little bit more realistic about, you know, at the end of the day, right, you kind of um, you are what your customers say you are. Yeah. And, and so if your customers are coming in for certain dishes and they're not ordering the other stuff, even if you really love the other stuff, even if you feel like the other stuff is really essential to the concept or or even worse, they're like, why don't you have this? this staple right like if uh you know if you're doing a pub like and you don't have a great burger or a great steak or whatever like you know you gotta you gotta have those things you and mean like a thai restaurant without pad thai like that? that's what i would guess that that's okay. the very to be very specific yes got it got it you know <laughs> like even if you're like well we don't really do that like just 
Just it's not consistent it. with our, yeah, just figure out a way to do it. Do yeah. it with integrity, do it, do it yeah. with respect for ingredients and techniques and make it like the best pad thai that somebody's ever had. Totally. And then you can charge them, you know, a 20% premium over any other pad thai they've ever had before. Totally. And that's okay. But yeah. yeah, don't, don't, don't think you're smarter than your customers because people, oh. people sense that is that reads as arrogance and people just won't come. Yes. And I think too, a lot of that is like chef driven arrogance, but the owner needs to like step in and be like, yo, like I'm still your boss and you need to do what I say, (laughs) you know, like, I'm sorry if you don't. And if you don't want to be here, like this is not the place for you. I think that that was a lot of the problem was like the chef ego stuff. And I know that that's a thing. But like, I, I, I don't know, I'm not a chef, so I can't even begin to know what is going on in that kitchen. It's a lot. And I know it's a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility and a lot of working your way up. And I know all of that. But well, and a lot of pride, like in the craft yeah. and, and in your vision and, and in of all this other stuff. And, and there is a place for that. Yes. Um, yeah. But it's, it's a lot easier. If you think about a Thai restaurant, like it's a lot easier to be like, very principled uh, street to kitchen, which is mm-hmm. in the East end next to mm-hmm. a gas station. Yes. Uh, and has, you know, 30 seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a lot easier at that rent than it is like, like Lake Colonial, which is in River Oaks district. It has Ooh. 200 <laughs> seats and it's like, yeah, that's gotta, you know, that's a Vietnamese restaurant. It's definitely it's priced be, accordingly and priced Jeez. accordingly, but, but also like has all of the exact things that you would expect it to have. And some other cool stuff that like is maybe a little more ambitious. Um, so you got to, you, you serve both masters, right? I actually you, really like that creativity. place. People love that place. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not dogging that place. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, gotta, it's good. Yeah. Well, for, for like an, a, a fusion Asian meal, like I, I go there. It's good. Yeah, for sure. I agree though. I just think, um, you know, the whole chef ego thing kind of needs to die. I think people's ego in general needs to die. I know my ego had to die because I was taking everything personally, everything. And I had to have like a full ego death. So I think chefs need to have an ego death too, at some point as well. I know it's tough, but like, well, I think it's, yeah, it's very humbling, but yes, I, I do think, yes, I, I think I, and I, and I think that probably happens. And and some (laughs) of the people that were involved in that stuff aren't, you know, in restaurants anymore. And some of Mm -hmm. them are, are doing stuff that's, you know, more approachable or, or less expensive. And, and that makes sense too. And you talked about Ryan Lashane. Like I, so I'm very respectful of chefs. I always, I always say chef, even if they're my friend, I'm like, Hey chef. And he doesn't like it. He's like, don't call me chef. I'm Ryan. You know, he just won't, you know, and just, just so the audience knows like Ryan literally, like he used to play hockey in Canada. He's like missing one of his front teeth. He used to wear like a fake tooth. Now he doesn't even wear it anymore. Like he doesn't give a shit, you know? So like Ryan, and Ryan's a very talented chef and a super, super amazing person. And he's like the type of chef that I love because he doesn't have that ego, you know? And so it's fun to be around him, fun to talk to him about food. Um, he loves McDonald's, like just shit like He loves like that. hot dogs. Yeah. I mean, he, he put a, a Taco Bell crunch wrap on the happy arm. Totally. But, but I love that. But that's what's, but that's what, that's what's really smart about Ryan as, as a chef and an operator is you go to Riel and yeah, there's steak and potatoes on the menu, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a skirt steak and the potatoes are these, you know, potato and cheese pierogi. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not steak treats, you know, well, it's, there's it's, it's, tater it's, tots on the menu. Yeah, there, 
yeah, with caviar. With caviar, right? So it's playful in a way. Uh, you know, there's there's cabbage rolls, and in the winter there's borscht. There's Yum. <laughs> a really delicate Gulf crudo and a really mm-hmm. elegant oyster preparation and, and caviar service and all these things. And so <laughs> it's it's the right balance of approachable, right? Like it's it's familiar flavors delivered in a way that you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's just it right, like he, you know, Ryan and, and now his uh his sous chef Peter, like they do a really good job of like keeping things interesting, right? So, you know, like you can go and have, you can go for the happy hour menu and you can have butter burgers and crawfish rolls. And that's a completely satisfying real experience. Or you can go for your birthday and get, you know, truffle and caviar uh, pierogi and that that giant bone-in ribeye with the, the eggs and and all the accompaniments and, and you know, and dig into the wine list and, and have like a real blowout. And I'm going to call him after this. I'm going to be like, hey, are you going to sponsor this episode? <laughs> <laughs> no, he deserves it. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I have one more question for you. Um, I will actually, no, I want to talk, first of all, I want to plug your podcast. So tell me about how that got started. It's what's Eric eating, right? That's the name yes. of your podcast. Yes. Okay. So why did you start the podcast? And like, what do you hope to bring to your audience that you don't already do with your writing? Sure. So so we're coming up on the fifth anniversary. There's 230 something episodes of What's Eric Eating, which is Amazing. bonkers to me. I, I started it because I would go and interview people and we would talk for half an hour about their career and their restaurant and their vision and their future. But, you know, the audio of a 30 minute conversation is, you know, 2,500 or 3000 words. Yeah. Nobody wants to read that. Right. Like, especially, you know, the, the data tells us most people read culture map on their phone. So nobody wants to sit and read that much on their phone. Correct. Uh, and that, and that's not really what culture maps about, right? Like we're, we're more bite-sized. Yeah. Um, but I thought the conversations were really interesting and I thought that people might really appreciate hearing directly from chefs, restaurateurs, bartenders, all these interesting people that I was encountering. And also, I just really like listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. And so when Culture Map was acquired by Gal Media, you know, I gained access to like radio production facilities. And so as soon as the deal was done, was like, can I have a podcast? <laughs> and they were you. like, and they were like, well, what is it? And I was like, well, you know, I think we'll we'll do some stuff that's like timely, right? We'll mm-hmm. talk about we'll talk about the news, right? What's happening in the world of Houston restaurants? Right. We'll do an audio restaurant review based on a meal at some new place you might want to try. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do an interview with someone in the food world that you want to hear from. I love that. And they said, okay, that all sounds good. And and what do you call it? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm not like branding is not my strong suit, right? Like I'm I'm not I'm not a marketer. But you know, I said, like in my head, I've been calling it what's Eric eating. But but we don't have to use that. And then I, I had a meeting, I had a meeting with the first person to go media that I had to get the approval of. And he goes, 
oh no, I kind of like that. And then I had a meeting with the head of the station and he said, what do you call it? And I said, what's Eric eating? And he's like, that's great. Right. So it was, so it was what's Eric eating. And you know, the format has been pretty consistent. You know, I, I have a, I have a reliable group of co-hosts who are either have either worked in the restaurant industry or are like very passionate about dining and kind of dine at the same, you know, frequency that I do or close to it. And so we can have like smart conversations about what's going on in the food world. And, and we can try to be really insightful about the meals that we share together for the review. And mm-hmm. then they step out and I have a conversation with, you know, one, two, as many as three figures in the food world that are affiliated with, you know, a restaurant group or a new opening or whatever exciting thing is happening. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's bonkers to me. I think we recorded this week is 234. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, I think I'm on like episode 30. So I've got quite a way to go. Um, <laughs> but if you think yeah, about I it, mean, that's like 30 weeks of work. It's a lot of work. No, it's a lot of work. And yeah. and I I don't think I fully appreciated what I was doing to myself when I made a when I made a weekly commitment to something. Right. Uh, I know. But but it's been but it's been a lot of fun. And you know, again, like it's not a huge audience, right? Like there's a there's kind of a limited audience, but the people who listen are really engaged with it. Totally. And and so mm-hmm. you know, like I was I got I got sick about three years ago and I was away from work for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And the first messages that I got were not like, hey, haven't seen you on social or or oh, I noticed you haven't published any articles this week. It was, hey, where's this week's podcast? Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And so that was like, that was really gratifying in a way yeah. because it, it never would have occurred to me that that would be, that would be what would sort of prompt people to reach out, but they feel it, it's, and in some ways it's the most personal, the, the most personal like work product that I've produced because it's audio and you're talking and it's, you know, we're not scripted. No. You know, I, I give my co-host an outline of topics and some questions to think about, but you know, I want it to be conversational. That, yeah. That's always been the goal. Yeah, same. And so it's, you know, it's, they're not skits. It's real. Or it's, I mean, you're pretty comical though. Like no one really knows that about you, but you're actually like so funny. Well, I like, hope so. You are. Smart and funny. Smart and funny is like my whole vibe. I know, you know I know, but people that's all don't I've got realize. going for me. I feel like if people don't talk to you though, Eric, like they don't know how low-key, like really funny you are. Well, thank you. I, I think, yeah, I think <laughs> I think that has been the strangest thing for me about this whole world. You know, people they read the work or they listen to the podcast or they they follow you on Instagram or whatever, and they feel like they know you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I like in some ways it's really flattering. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's kind of hard to deal with those expectations sometimes totally. because they feel like you owe them something. And, totally. and, and that's, if they're nice about it, that's fine. And if they're pushy <laughs> about it, it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's, um, it's gratifying in a way. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the ultimate compliment, right? Like, you know, we, you know, we don't go to any restaurant, like we wait to see what you have to say about a place or, you know, we, we skim your Instagram before we pick our date nights or, you know, whatever it is that, that stuff is all really that, that, I mean, that at the end of the day, right. If, um, you know, if, if someone's saying like, 
oh, I love your articles or I follow you on Instagram. When that stops feeling good, yeah, that's when it's time to quit and go do PR. Yeah. Because <laughs> those guys drive nicer cars than I do. Uh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, you just let me know when that happens. We'll, we'll go together. We'll be like a package deal. I'll help I, you with your marketing and you do the comics and then we'll, be yeah, there. I saw, I, I saw, I saw a job posting. It was like, you know, hundred K a year, be a publicist. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> Ooh, man, that would be, that would get me that, that shiny new electric car that I want. Yeah, except for the fact that you have to deal with everyone else's bullshit. If you're a publicist, you have to well, clean yeah, up everyone else's is, messes. Right. There is there is something to be said for for you know getting to kind of having a lot of creative freedom and yes, and, you know I'm account. I mean, certainly I'm accountable to the the people who are in Culture Map, but but they give me a lot of latitude to. to oh, after ten years, I freaking hope so. Yeah. <laughs> But they have, I mean, obviously, you know, you're huge, you're, you're huge, um, you know, amongst our community here in Houston for food. And, I, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I know there's so many people who really enjoy um, the time and the dedication and the effort that you put into making this food scene what it is, because Houston is truly one of the greatest food scenes in the country. And I can say that because I've been everywhere. Um, and I think, you know, you're a huge part of that because you bring restaurants to the forefront into the spotlight that people like maybe wouldn't normally know about. And other than like the typical Mastro, Steak 48, like Fleming's, like whatever those standard, like big names. And like, you always, you know, like the little Bon Me shop or whatever it is that you say, I think that, you know, you are responsible for a lot of the success of this restaurant scene. So thank you. I mean, first of all, but right. The idea is just to kind of find the people who are doing the good work. Yeah. And then just give them a little push. Yeah. Like that's, that's about the best you can hope for. Yeah. Is that, is that if people are, are doing good work and you, you sort of guide an audience to them that they will achieve some level of success. And and that's like, at the end of the day, like that's, that's about what we can do. Right. We don't, uh, we don't make people, we don't break people. Uh, all we can, like, I, I really do feel like all I, all I can do is, is give you a push and hope that you're ready. For it. <laughs> yes, for sure. Absolutely. So my last question, I ask all the guests this, if you saw your 20 year old self walking towards you on the street and you could run up to them and give them a big hug and tell them one thing, one piece of advice, anything like a statement, what, what would that one thing be? Uh, don't take yourself so goddamn seriously. <laughs> I was like, I was a, you know, like I was really uptight and I took myself so serious, like I in know. college in my twenties. And it's just like, it's going to be okay. You're yeah. going to, you're going to be okay. Chill all the way out is what chill I would all say. The way out. All the way. <laughs> Sit down and chill. <laughs> That's awesome advice. Well, Eric, thank you so much. This was so fun. I can't believe it's already five. Can you believe it's already been an hour? That's no, wild. It, it flew by. Absolutely. It totally flew by. I'm just so excited. And I love that you came on the show. Obviously, you know, like my show kind of runs the gamut of subject matter. So I love that because I can literally interview all my friends and it, and it be fine. So, <laughs> so I love this. It's completely different from any other episode we've done. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you. you. Thank you for having me on. This has been just a ton of fun. And I, I was Yay. so 
so flattered to be asked. I, I love what you're doing with the show. I, I love how Thank you. how authentic you are and <laughs> and just it, it shows how eclectic your interests are that you can have all these oh. different people on. Oh yes. <laughs> I think you know I'm eclectic, but yeah, for sure. I agree. <laughs> and we're you and I are gonna have to go no Thai food because remember you and I went on that Thai streak for Houston magazine. Yeah. No Thai food, but you and I need to go on an adventure, maybe for like lunch one of these days or dinner. A lot or of cool stuff happening, a lot of cool stuff happening, you know, out in your way in West Houston and, and plenty of plenty of new places to try. So yeah, we'll we'll pick something. We'll have a good time. Okay. Well shoot me a text and we'll plan it. Sounds good. Okay, Eric. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Stephanie. Okay. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Eric Sandler. It was so fun having an old friend on the show. We have really spent a lot of time together in the food industry and kind of talking to him about my journey and what happened to the restaurant groups that I worked for and seeing his perspective on things was really, really intriguing to me. And I always love to learn. And Eric's just one of those people that you can truly like learn so much from. Um, so definitely make sure you're following his podcast, make sure you're following him on social media. And as always, just please make sure you like, you comment, you subscribe, all of those amazing things. I'm just so glad you guys are here. I hope you loved it. And I hope you had the most amazing week. For now, I'm sending you so much love and big hugs, and I will see you on the next one. Mwah. That's a wrap for this episode of The Luxury Dropout. Make sure to visit stephaniejoplin.com to find all of Steph's episodes, including full podcast descriptions and photos of her guests. Until next time, besties.